You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. If, 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 if your blood runs orange and blue, orange and blue, 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 blue this, this is the pod, is the for, pod you. for you. You're listening to Orange and Blue Bloods. Hosted by EJ Stewart and Tommy Beer. Let's get to it, New York. Welcome to the New York Penitentiary. It is EJ Stewart, Tommy Beer, Orange and Blue Blood, New York Knicks podcast, Odyssey original, WFN original, and you got to feel great. You feel that smell? That's the smell of sustainable winning. That's the smell of culture building. That's the smell of a team that is not here to mess around. That's the smell of a team that could seriously do damage in the postseason this year. We got plenty to get to on this episode of Orange and Blue Bloods. We'll be talking about the Knicks flat out spanking the Boston Celtics at Madison Square Garden on Monday night, extending their win streak to six games. We'll break down everything from that game. We'll talk about what it means moving forward. But you got to feel good about what Knicks are right now, sitting in sole possession of the fifth seed in the Eastern Conference. We'll also preview a big game they have on Wednesday. The Brooklyn Nets come back to Madison Square Garden for a matchup. This is a game that I think the Nets certainly said that they were going to circle on the calendar. The Knicks blew them out a couple of weeks ago. So we'll preview that game for Wednesday night. And later on in the show, I want to get into some stuff. I think it was an important article that came out from Shams Sharania of The Athletic, keying some of the details coming out from the proposed CBA that's being hammered out by the NBA and the Players Union. Some interesting details, some things that have not seemed to be ironed out yet, or at least they're not ready to speak about publicly. So um, this is important stuff. You're a fan of the Knicks. You're a fan of the NBA. I think it's important to understand what's going on with the CBA. It seems like they're barreling their way towards an agreement. There's always this talk about whether there be a lockout or not. It doesn't sound like that's going to be uh, the case right now, which is good for basketball fans. We'll talk about if they are focused on the right things with this new CBA. So plenty to get to on this episode. Tommy, how you feeling this morning or this afternoon that's now? This- we that's the smell of the Knicks smoking that Boston pack. <laughs> <laughs> that is right. That is they, right. They, they lit up the seas last night. And, um, you know, you, you start a, you know, we started the podcast this season and you only hope that we could discuss games like this games that matter. Yeah. Um, we're the last day of February on the eve of March. Um, and the Knicks are playing important games. We got a, you know, an important game against the, the Nets. That's going to decide, you know, either the Knicks will fall back at the sixth or create a little more space between them and the Nets um, chasing the Cavs um, and just, you know, rivalry week, the heat on, on, uh, on Friday night, the Celtics again in Boston on Sunday, um, all games that matter, all games that have significance um, as a Knicks fan, you know, we know, uh, you know, Knicks fans know that these games aren't promised to anybody and, and yep. they haven't been, you know, they haven't been readily available uh, for, for the better part of the last two decades. Uh, but they're here now um, and it's a privilege and an honor to uh, discuss it. And um, something I, th- I think we all enjoy um, is, is playing a, a Knicks team playing competitive basketball at this time of the year um, has uh, is, is something that I think we all appreciate. 
Yeah, and that's like what I mentioned on the last episode that like the Knicks earned their right to have these games mean something. They yep. played a tough regular season. They just went through one of the toughest stretches of the schedule and came out on the other end looking fantastic. And now you get to these parts of the season where you're getting down to the stretch. You're starting to look at what the playoff position is going to look like. You have these marquee matchups against some of the uh, premier brands in the NBA, some of the biggest rivalry teams compared to your team in the NBA. And now the Knicks have a position to where they could essentially write their own ticket moving forward. This is not a team that's looking to get by. This is looking a team that's get ahead. This is a team looking to get looking to get ahead. And uh, a lot of excitement for how this Knicks are playing. So we are going to discuss all that. Once again, this is Orange and Blue Bloods, a New York Knicks podcast, an Odyssey and WFAN original. You can get these episodes of our podcast wherever you get your podcasts, including the free Odyssey app. Make sure you hit the auto download feature so you can get these episodes. Whenever we drop, we drop three times a week. This is our second episode this week. We'll have one later in the week as well. And make sure to check us out on YouTube. Uh, you can catch us on the Odyssey Sports Channel where our full episode of these podcasts as well as the um, segments from this podcast are posted on there as well. So check us out on YouTube, Odyssey Sports. Check us out wherever you get your podcasts. You make sure you hit the auto download feature. and Make sure you give us a five-star rating and review on what you think of these episodes. But let's begin talking about this win. Perhaps one of the most impressive wins of the Knicks season. The Celtics were completely outclassed by the Knicks 109 94 at Madison Square Garden. Knicks held the Celtics to nine for 42 from the three-point line. Jason Tatum, who was ejected in the fourth quarter of this game, finished with just 14 points. He shot six for 18 from the field, was frustrated all night. The Knicks were led by a stellar bench performance by Emmanuel Quickly. He tied for a game-high 23 points in this game. Randall added 23 points as well. The Knicks now on a six-game win streak. They now sit in sole possession of the fifth seed in the Eastern Conference. So all positives to take away from this game. What was the most impressive aspect of this win for you, Tommy? Yeah, I think, um, you know, and we were kind of talking and right before we hopped on, on the pod was just that, you know, if, if the Knicks had won this game because Randall exploded for 48 and Brunson had a Brunson game where he was, yep. you know, 37 points on 21 shots and, you know, nine assists or something along those lines. Obviously, you take the win. You're excited about the win. You, you know, that that's kind of how you expect this team um, if they're going to play really impressively and blow out a team like the Celtics can't enter the night with the league's best record. Um, but what made this W even that much more impressive and probably special in the hearts of Nick fans was the fact that they did so with Randall having basically a pedestrian night, you know, 23, seven, four is a solid game, but those are all below his league averages. Yep. Um, you know, ditto for Jalen Brunson, uh, who was only four of 12 from the floor. Uh, he missed free th uh, three free throws. Um, you know, I think he had four assists, uh, three rebounds. So not certainly not up to his standards, his lofty standards that we've come to expect from Brunson night in, night out. RJ Barrett was, was, wasn't just not good. He was awful. Um, and, yeah. and we'll get into that a little bit later. Um, really kind of the only, um, negative uh, on this, uh, otherwise really impressive night. Um, it was the other pieces. It was the complementary pieces that stepped up in a big way. Mitchell Robinson, a defensive masterclass in the first half. Absolutely protecting the paint, um, finishing dunks, 
Um, you know, just basically doing all little things, two steals, two blocks, um, really, really making it difficult for the, um, you know, he's kind of the linchpin of, of the Tibbs defensive system, um, where they look to chase you off the line and get you, you know, into that mid range. And if, unless you settle for the mid range, you want to attack the basket, but with Mitch back there to clean up, um, any and all shots around the rim makes it that much more difficult. Um, Grimes, we talked about that defensive, you know, that, that defense, that defense on the perimeter, Jason Tatum struggled again last night. Um, you know, Derek White didn't didn't perform as well certainly as as he would have liked. Um, again, Grimes, you can't say enough about the kid defensively. Also, in the second half, when they finally started giving him the ball, knocked down a three, and then got into the paint, created some easy shots for himself and also his teammates, which he's great at. You know, um, and Breen mentioned it last night. Thing you love about Grimes um, when he when he uh, when uh, opponents close out on his three point shot and he attacks the paint he hasn't made up his mind whether he's going to shoot or pass yet um, yeah. it makes you know really challenges the defense um, and and guys especially big guys love playing with it with a player like that um, Obi Toppin hit a three pointer um, you know he had nine points um, and 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 of course we can't forget about the the, the great play from uh, Emmanuel quickly um, absolutely. You know who who we've given flowers to, and we've and we've sung his praises over the past few months, but probably not as much as we should have. Um, and I and I spent some time. I wrote about it this morning. Um, you know, you go back to that December fourth game. Um, that's kind of the game where the Knicks, you know, adjusted to a nine-man rotation following the uh, disaster versus Dallas when they were blown out on that Saturday afternoon. They came back the next night, beat Cleveland. That kind of you know is viewed as rightly so the turning point of the season. Yeah. That's 40 games ago now. Um, the Knicks right. are 26 and 14 over that 40 game stretch. Um, only four teams in the NBA have a, have more wins than the Knicks during that stretch. Most importantly, the Knicks have the second best net rating in the NBA over that stretch. Folks, that's 40 games. That's not a week. That's not three weeks. That's not a good start after the All-Star break. That's yeah. that's essentially half a season. We have a large body of work here now that it, that informs us this Knicks team is for real. They, they need to be taken seriously. Um, they're, they're the scrappy, gritty underdog, um, but they've also exceeded even those expectations. They are the quintessential team that a team like the Celtics or the Bucks or the Sixers do not want to see in the first round of the playoffs because they're playing with house money. They have no expectations. It's, you know, it's just it basically um, they have a, they have a mentality. They have a culture. Um, you know, they have something to hang their hat on every night. Um, yep. and, and, and again, I, I want to circle back to that, that this 40 game stretch. Um, yes, it's it 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 um, coincides with the switch to the nine man rotation, but the probably the more important factor than switching to that nine man rotation and getting McBride and playing some of the younger guys a little bit more was Tibbs finally taking the reins off Emmanuel quickly. Um, yeah. First twenty three games of the season, quickly averaged twenty two minutes a night. Knicks were ten and thirteen uh, during that twenty three game stretch. As I just mentioned, in the forty game sixths. The 40 games since the Knicks are 26 and 14 and Emmanuel quickly is playing 31 minutes a night. Um, you know, that's, that's what, you know, it's, it's not hard to draw a, a direct connection between yeah. the improved play on both ends of the floor and, and Tibbs um, relying on Emmanuel quickly um, to, to kind of do what he does best. He has showed and prove Knicks need to lock him up sooner rather than later. That's a conversation. Yes. That's a conversation for another day. Um, but uh, yeah, all things considered, another great win uh, for the Knicks on Monday night. A lot of it had to do with the bench unit and the key cog in that bench unit, as it has been all season, was Emmanuel Quickly. Yeah, keeping track of the agendas we're pushing. So uh, Randall for All-NBA, 
um, Manuel quickly for six man of the year, adding in another another agenda for this podcast. Pay Emmanuel quickly. That has to happen. Manuel quickly is that, uh, playing spectacular basketball, and he has improved so much when you consider he's only 23 years old, and you're getting this kind of production in massive games against teams like the Boston Celtics. The Knicks better do right and pay Emmanuel quickly. He was phenomenal in this game. And I think he was up for this game considering he was going up against a guy, Malcolm Brogdon, who also had a good game. Probably yeah. the only Celtic who had a good game in this one. I think this is the guy you're looking at as the favorite for the sixth man of the year. We've mentioned a bunch about how there's essentially been no talk about Emmanuel quickly for sixth man of the year, which is ridiculous when you look at not just his you know, traditional stats, but also his advanced statistics, which show that he's one of the more uh, instrumental and indispensable players in the NBA. And that's the word I would use for him. He is indispensable for the New York Knicks. I mean, it, it, without him, just like we talk about Randall, just like we talk about uh, Brunson, just like we talk about Mitch Robinson. I think in many ways, like those three guys, along with Emmanuel quickly, are the top four most indispensable pieces on this team. Without them, the Knicks become a certain level, not necessarily as good as they are right now. And I think now that you have quickly playing at this level, now you have Mitchell Robinson back. You mentioned the masterclass he had in that first half. I mean, that block on Jason Tatum, I really thought set the tone for this game. I think that once that happened, you kind of realize, and I think the Celtics realized, it was going to be a long night defensively. It's part of the reason why you saw them launch 43 threes in this game. I know this is a team that does shoot a lot of three-pointers, but considering how much they uh, struggled from the line, you would have thought they they would have been more aggressive going into the paint. They were unable to do that. They only got to the free throw line 14 times. That was a point of emphasis for Joe Mazzula, the head coach in the post game, was talking about how high the Knicks get 34 free throws. We only got 14 free throws. Well, when you launch 42 three-pointers and your team looks afraid to attack the paint because Mitchell Robinson is lurking back there, that's how you shoot only 14 free throws. This was not some kind of conspiracy, some kind of rocket science as to what happened. But shout out to Emmanuel quickly. I'm starting the agenda. They got to pay him. They got to extend him. He is so important to this team. And I'm so happy. We don't know what the deal was with those trade rumors that started to begin the season, whether or not it was teams calling for him or it was the Knicks shopping them, but I'm very glad that that's over, and I'm glad you and I were both ahead of the curve and saying trading him should basically not be an option. It should not be on the table, especially for a first-round pick or in a salary dump situation or a situation where you're avoiding to pay him. The fact that Emmanuel quickly is on this team makes the Knicks a better basketball squad. No question. Um, and 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 you and we didn't even mention Josh Hart yet. Um, he had a great game too great chemistry with, with that second unit. Um, Hardenstein was relatively quiet last night. First, first time in a while. Um, but again, that, that second unit is, is so key. Um, and we talked about it going into the game. Uh, and obviously everyone's talked about it because the Celtics get a lot of national attention. One of the greatest strengths is their excessive depth. You know, they they, they yeah. bring guys in waves, um, but they just had no match for the Knicks. The, the Celtics and likely um, their sixth man and likely the sixth man of the year award winner, Malcolm Brogdon, played a game but couldn't match IQ's impact. IQ was, yeah. IQ was just that good. Um, you know, they're, they're kind of tough intangibles guy Grant Williams played decently but Josh Hart was far more effective for the Knicks um you know Rob Williams is kind of their interior defender that's what Mitchell Robinson was last night um he was an enhanced version of of basically what the Celtics hope Rob Williams will be in the playoffs um and if you get all those guys you know clicking on all cylinders 
we see a performance like we did last night. Um, you know, the only downside is uh, R.J. Barrett, who somehow in a game the Knicks won yeah. by 15 points, R.J. Barrett started the game, was a starter, um, and was minus six. Uh, 4-14 from the floor, five turnovers versus just two assists. Um, many of those turnovers live ball of the live ball variety, which turns into instant transition points uh, yeah. for their opponent. We've seen that far too often this season. Um, so if we're going to mention any negative takeaway from last night, it's RJ needs to be better. If it's shot isn't falling from outside, attack the basket. And when you attack the basket, don't get, don't put your head down and by hook or by crook, attempt a field goal, you know, floater or fade away or whatever the case right. might be. Look to spray the ball to the outside. Um, for whatever, whatever happens, do not create those live ball turnovers that drive Tibbs crazy. You can see it. Um, yeah, yeah, it, he was going crazy at some of them. I remember the one when he went baseline and threw it out and Malcolm Brogdon basically – just was standing right there. He knew exactly where that ball was going um, with the Knicks rotation, and and Tibbs wanted to strangle RJ. <laughs> you could tell from that sideline. Some of these turnovers were awful last night. A hundred percent. And and RJ, uh, if if the game had been close, probably still would. You know, um, it, he wasn't. It, it seemed like he wasn't going to get back in those final eight minutes, or that you know, it seems like Hard is kind of putting a lock on those minutes. And 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 again. If RJ is making poor decisions and the shot's not falling and he's not, you know, we know that he has not been an above, you know, at best an above average defender this season. Um, on, on many nights, he's been a below, uh, far below average defender, yeah. been a subpar defender. You need to curtail his minutes, not only in the fourth quarter, but in the first half, um, third quarter, first quarter, whatever the case might be, especially now that you have the viable options on the bench, be it IQ be it Hart, um, or if you want to give Grimes more minutes at the three. Those are certainly, um, you know, options that, you know, again, the Knicks are at their best if RJ plays like we know RJ is capable of. But until he does that and proves that he earns those minutes, um, Tibbs has to go in another direction. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Yeah, I want to give credit to Mike Breen. And it, perhaps it may be because he's probably done so many Boston Celtic games over the last two or three years. But he was right on it when during this game saying, against the Celtic team, you cannot play in a crowd. You cannot expose the ball. Yes. You cannot attack double teams. They are so good with deflections. They are so good with their hands. And they're so good in their rotations. You kind of have to slow your game down and make decisions, not just off the, you know, kind of shooting from the hip. You kind of have to really have a plan whenever you're attacking this team because as soon as you spin, as soon as you look away, as soon as you expose that ball, the Celtics are coming. And it felt like he was the only guy that didn't understand the scouting report. I mean, he had five turnovers. No one else had more than one. I thought – and 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 the Celtics, I thought, were even doing more of a junk defense than they really do against normal teams. Like, they were essentially doubling Jalen Brunson – 
on a lot of pick and rolls. They, they were mixing up their coverages. They were doubling Julius Randle sometimes yep. without a screen. They were just yep. sending a second guy to him. Sometimes yep. with Brunson without a screen, just sending a second guy to him. So the Celtics, who are already kind of a scramble, uh, turn you over kind of team, it kind of turned up the heat even more against this Nick team, partially, I think, because of how much Randall and Brunson dominated them in that game against Boston. So this is a game where you especially have to be careful with the ball, where you got to be especially careful with your decision-making. Credit to the Knicks. I think that they were ready for it, and they were prepared. It, it seemed like RJ was the only guy who wasn't prepared. He was yeah. the only guy who's spinning into double teams. He's the only guy leaving his feet under the basket to throw passes that are Hail Marys. Like, you got to be better. Like, you got to be better. That that was not a good performance. Disappointing considering how well he normally plays against the Boston Celtics. Yeah, you know, a, yeah. He's had some great games against Boston. And Randall at yeah. times, you know, it seemed like he flirted with, you know, doing that dispin and, and, and turnover yeah. action, but but he corrected and going forward. And one other thing, just a, a small point, um, and again, credit to Breen for bringing it up and really harping on it um, because really there was no way to avoid it, was the length of the review um, in, in that third quarter when they yeah, were viewing the, 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 uh, the Jalen Brunson offensive foul slash technical slash you know, foul on the floor call. Um, it was just ridiculous. I think, you know, they timed it. It was seven or eight minutes. Um, Knicks had a really good flow. Luckily, they were able to get back in their rhythm. Um, but that really, you know, brought the game to a grinding halt. Uh, could have hurt the Knicks. And it's something that, you know, we've talked about here briefly. Um, and, and I hope Breen continues to bring it up on broadcast, especially national broadcasts that get the attention of Adam Silver in the league office, because that is something that um, that they, that needs to be corrected. I, I joke that the NBA might want to borrow the MLB pitch clock i was just gonna um, say the same thing yeah and and, and and put some type of time limit on it because if you can't figure it out in a certain amount of time um again this is the nba's a billion dollar business um there was only four games going on last night i know sometimes they use the excuse that in caucus they you know there's four games you know seven games going on at the same time and then enough people listen have you know dedicate two people and if they waste their three hours just watching the game without being called into it you know reps in the back office whatever the case might be um that's one thing but again you know you, that that's something that the NBA needs to needs to re- improve and improve quickly. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think that that is even like a, a, a joke or like a you know a, a kind of like out of the sky or kind of unrealistic thing to do. Right. Like I really would say, hey, there's a three minute clock. Whenever there's a review made, you have yep. three minutes to make a decision. If the decision's yep. not made after three minutes, then the call stands. Because at that point, yes. if you've seen all those <laughs> angles, you still can't figure something out. Then the call probably should stand. So exactly. I actually really think that. A time limit on these reviews needs to happen. We'll talk about the CBA in a little bit because you're right. That was terrible. And it was fortunate that it didn't seem to really impact the game in terms of like either team kind of falling out of crazy rhythm. Like I was very concerned the Knicks were going to maybe cough this up because of this long yeah. review, especially after the ridiculous result that came out of it. That's what happens too. You get these results where you're like, how the hell did that become a, a technical foul on Jalen Brunson when he's off balance and he's falling down? Like, his leg goes up because he's falling down. Like that's just what happens when you play basketball. And somehow yes. he got a technical foul. That was just absurd. Um, but the one thing I will mention before we move on from this game, uh, a great game from this Knicks team. I, I mentioned the show at the top. I called it the New York Penitentiary. And I, I said that when I hosted on WFAN last night. And I'm hoping that I can get this to stick with this Knicks team because we had the Knicks tape era of the Knicks with Stoudemire and Mello and Chandler and that era of Knicks team. Then we had the 2021 Knicks team. That was the big 12, the we here, New York Knicks. Those unfortunately were short time periods. At this point, I think this Knicks team, one looks like they're going to be sustainable winner, but two, they deserve a nickname. And I'm calling them the New York penitentiary 
based on what I'm seeing from this Knicks team of late. It is inspired by the WWE Undisputed Tag Team Champions, the Usos, who refer to themselves as the Uso Penitentiary because everyone they go up against gets locked down. And what I'm seeing from the New York Knicks recently is they are locking down whoever they face. Roll call. Atlanta Hawks, locked down. Brooklyn Nets, locked down. New Orleans Pelicans, locked down. Boston Celtics, locked down. They're not just beating these teams. They're beating them into submission. They play these teams' coaches get fired. They play these teams' coaches complain about free throws. They play these teams' coaches complain about how the Knicks are too physical and they can't match their energy. They play these teams and star player rage quits on the court like what we saw from Jason Tatum, a guy who clearly wanted no part of this Knicks team after that disaster class he had in this game. Whenever you see a guy who has one technical foul going after the refs as consistently as Jason Tatum was in that fourth quarter, you know that's a guy that wants no part of this game. He's asking to get thrown out. That's what you saw from Jason Tatum last night, and that's why the New York Knicks, in my opinion, are now the New York Penitentiary because anybody they go up against, they're getting locked down, and they're getting beaten down in submission. A phenomenal performance by the New York Knicks. 15 points, held the Celtics to 15 points in that first quarter. Um, this was the 62nd game the Celtics had played. They had scored at least 20 points in every first quarter um, in, in the 64, 61 prior games. Knicks held them to 15, set the tone, and as you mentioned, locked them up the rest of the way. Um, and, yes, the Knicks aren't just winning games, you know, during this, this six-game winning streak. They're dominating, you know, yep. relatively good teams. Had a great team last night in the Boston. Knicks are plus 88. They've, they've Their average margin of victory is 8.8 .8 points per game during the stretch um so yeah they've they've really put the put the hammer down on teams and that's again another sign that this team is should be taken seriously this team should be you know is for real um we might have some special brewing here um one of these rare seasons those unexpected seasons that fans seem to enjoy um it seems like we're in the midst of one right now Knicks win 109-94 Madison Square Garden these two teams will play again in short order um, so it should be another a good one when these teams lock up um, on Sunday, ESPN slate um, at uh, the TD Bank Garden. I won't say the garden because we know what the garden, the real garden is. But that other garden up there in Boston is where the next match will be Sunday. You expect Jalen Brown to be back in that one probably. So should be a good one there. But let's talk about the next game the Knicks have on their slate. So they'll see their crosstown rivals, the Brooklyn Nets at Madison Square Garden on Wednesday. Uh, the Knicks blew out the Brooklyn Nets, as I mentioned, locked them down on February 13th, the last time uh, these two teams played. Brooklyn is just a game behind the Knicks for that fifth seed, but have sputtered. They've lost seven of their last 10 games. It appears like they are still trying to work out the kinks of what is essentially a brand new roster. You trade Kevin Durant, you trade Kyrie Irving, you bring back all these new players to this team. You have to refigure your entire rotation. They're in a little bit of a transition period for this season, which is the worst time to probably have this considering you're supposed to be in a playoff push. You're trying to figure out your chemistry, and, and, and I'm sure some of these players are trying to remember each other's names. I mean, this is a entirely different Nets team that we saw earlier this season. Talking about this matchup on Wednesday, matchup that Spencer Dinwiddie, after the Knicks blew them out a couple of weeks ago, said that he was going to circle on the calendar because of the trash talk he thought he was hearing from the Knicks. What do you think of in terms of keys to a Knicks win in this one? Because the Knicks are a good team, but they should not be taking any team for granted. And that's why they don't have Kyrie and KD do have some talented players. Definitely. And a lot of, even though they've lost some games, a lot of those have been very close. Um, we know the heartbreaking loss when Diddy hit that three pointer and the buzzer that wasn't, um, they got beat on a, a Trey young buzzer beater yep. um, on, on Sunday night. Um, 
so yeah, but but in terms of you know this again, it's a quality team. Um, Bridges, you know, had that forty-five point game. He's been playing at a very high level uh, since the trade. Dinwiddie's, you know, obviously playing well. Claxton's emerging um, as as one of the better you know centers, uh, defensive centers in the NBA. Um, so there's a lot there, um, and as you know, certainly not something that you want to take for granted. Um, the thing that the Knicks again, you know, should be able to take advantage of is their bench play. Um, you know, Nets have been getting very little from Seth Curry of late. Joe Harris yeah. was scoreless in seven minutes in that game Sunday. Um, Cam Thomas is, you know, is an offensive fire, is an offensive spark plug off the bench, um, but a guy you can take advantage of defensively. Um, so that's something that that the Knicks will keep an eye on. But yeah, I think the Dinwiddie matchup is the one I'm going to be most looking forward to. Um, Dinwiddie played very well at the Garden um, in the it, on the in the previous game, um, so I think that's something that Grimes will, um, you know, have a challenge on his hands of of really. Yeah corralling him and, and keeping him in check. Um, it'll be interesting to see, um, you know, kind of how those two square off. Um, and, and obviously you'll, you'll get Josh Hart in the mix. I expect this game to get a little physical, a little edgy, crosstown rivals, um, some trash talk in the previous game. And obviously yeah. this is something that the players here in and around the city on social media, et cetera, um, you know, that they, that they want to take back fifth place from the Knicks. So this is, um, again, another game that fans can look forward to, get excited about and, and has, you know, potentially very significant playoff, uh, you know, uh, implications as obviously these two teams are neck and neck for that important five seed. Yeah. I mean, the, the nets are in a position where they're trying to figure themselves out and figure out their rotation. You know, Jock Vaughn has been talking about trying to figure out who plays and who doesn't, you know, around the same time, it appears that Ben Simmons is about to be taken out of the rotation. He says, well, actually, my knees banged up. I'm going to take a couple <laughs> of weeks off. She's just like, it's, it's like, it's crazy how they could lose Kyrie Irving and yet have another guy on the team who seems to just, Whenever he wants, says, oh, I can't play. I got I to sit down for a little bit. I mean, again, what's happened to Ben Simmons has been unbelievable. So he's not playing because he's injured, but he might not be playing anyway. Uh, you mentioned guys like Seth Curry and Joe Harris, players who were looked at as, I don't want to say cornerstones, but looked at as key pieces to a team yeah. that they hoped would win a championship. Their minutes are greatly decreased. I mean, Joe Harris playing six minutes in that game against the Hawks, seven minutes for Seth, Seth Curry against the Hawks. And that's a team that you would think that those guys would be able to play a lot of minutes. You would think that those guys, considering and how Patty bad Mills, and Patty Mills not playing at all out of rotation. Out of the rotation. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah, it is wild. And um, they're trying to figure themselves out. You mentioned how Cam Thomas, the guy is a bucket. I mean, I, I, even doing work on him for the draft uh, when he was at LSU, the guy was always a bucket. He can't defend, and he doesn't really do much else. But the guy is certainly a bucket, so – um, I saw Jock Vaughn talking about, you know, it's tough turn to kind of understanding where and when to play someone like Cam Thomas because he gives you so much offensively, but if he's not doing the other things, he can really kill you. So his minutes can go up and down. So in some ways, the Knicks have to be kind of ready for anything. I think this is a nest thing that's still figuring themselves out. So some of those guys that didn't play as much in that last game, maybe they end up playing a lot more in this next game. Um, they, they had a, a game against that, that Hawks team where they got down big and they had a, a really good comeback to make that game interesting but it was a lot on Spencer Dinwiddie who continues to play really well Cam Johnson uh had a big game he had 27 in that one we know Mikael Bridges is a stud good solid team playing against this team the Knicks have to be in some ways similar to the Boston Celtics is that they got to be smart offensively um this is a team with a lot of long wiry defensive players um Nick Claxton is one of the best defensive centers in the NBA uh the Knicks if there's anything that worries me about a Nets matchup is how athletic and how rangy they are uh defensively but i feel like if the knicks can be careful with the basketball if they can uh continue to attack in multiple ways not get bogged down so much in isolation basketball they, they have a bunch of guys who can guard guys individually and if defensively they just stay on their keys 
Uh, this is a Nets team that is not going to beat you on one-on-one play, on isolation play. Mikael Bridges was having a conversation, I think, with Patty Mills, uh, he said recently, and he was, you know, kind of questioning whether or not he could actually question the offense they were running because they were running stuff for, like, they were running stuff for KD and Kyrie. He's like, we don't have those guys. We can't run that kind of offense. And Patty Mills like, yes, please bring that up to the coaches because, yeah, we can't play that way. So uh, the Knicks got to understand that they got to stay on their keys. It's not like it's going to be one guy that's going to be getting the ball and getting 30 shots. It's going to be a team that's going to try to spray it around and get multiple guys going. So the Knicks have to be uh, in tune defensively. It's not going to be, hey, there's Tatum. Let's make sure we stop him. They got to kind of be all on the same page and make sure all these guys don't get off. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, that, that and, and again, you, you, we can't underestimate the fact that um, there's going to be intense, you know, in a rivalry aspect. And the other thing yeah. is the, the Knicks can't look past the Heat, um, who, who secured a, another important victory. Big um, win. They, where they snapped a four-game losing streak uh, last night against the Sixers. Like, that's a big win for Miami. They're not going to go anywhere. You know, it's not like they're going to fall off the, you know, stop competing and, you know, settle for the eighth seed or the seventh seed or whatever the case might be. Um, so, it, it, you know, irrespective of whether the Knicks stay ahead or, or push, a, you know, uh, or fall a little bit behind the Nets, they also have the heat breathing down their back. So, um, again, all these games are, are important, uh, you know, coming up. Yeah, and, and you talk about the importance of this particular rivalry with the Brooklyn Nets. I mean, before that last one, the Knicks had lost these guys nine times in a row. And it was great to get that one win. But when was the last time the Knicks and Nets split a season series over the course of a season? It's probably been much longer than even just that nine-game uh, losing streak stretch that they had over the past three or four seasons. Like, the Nets have owned the Knicks, essentially. So I, I think it would be important to kind of send a message and let the, let the city know, let the Nets know that things are different. Um, it's like I, I posted a tweet uh, after the uh, Nets uh, in the Knicks win last time over the Brooklyn Nets. That I don't know if you saw that meme uh, with uh, pa- Patrick Beverly when they were playing the the Warriors the year after KD left, and he was like, "You had the last four years, next four years are mine." He was telling to Steph Curry. That's why I said Jalen Brunson was telling to the Brooklyn Nets the last time they played. You had the last four years, next four years are mine. The Knicks need to send the message to the Nets that hey, you guys had a great run and. Well, I don't know about great, but you had a run where you were playing good basketball. You were in the playoffs every year. And everybody was talking about you guys being the cool team. Well, we got the next four years. And send the message here. Take care of business uh, like they should against this team. Um, When it comes to this fifth spot, I think one thing that's kind of being maybe lost in the shuffle a little bit is kind of where the Knicks are in terms of the rest of their schedule. So the Knicks, um, right now they're in the fifth seed. And a lot of this conversation we had over the last month or so has been about, look, the Knicks are playing well in the standings, but they are not um, necessarily uh, have a, a, a favorable schedule moving forward. At one point, they had like the fourth toughest schedule in the NBA. I think coming out of the All-Star break, they had the seventh toughest schedule in the NBA. Things have changed now. When you look at the, the strength of schedule, the Knicks, I believe, now have the 17th toughest schedule in the NBA. The Nets are still up there in the top four or five, I believe, with the most toughest schedules in the league. So I think the Knicks will be fine in terms of keeping the Nets on uh, off off bay basically or, or at bay um i think the knicks will have an easier schedule down the stretch so they'll continue to play at a high level even if the nets do win this game i'm not too worried about them because i think that the schedule will get after them and uh force them to slip a couple of spots as well how do you see that uh challenge of keeping the nets at bay for that fifth seed yeah i mean if anything i i think the games you know the knicks again the knicks play the heat three times so i i, I yeah. could i think you could make the argument that the, the heat have a better chance of getting that fifth seed than the i nets agree do. with that 
you know, um, you know, depending on, and I, the, the other thing that factors in strength of schedule is that the Knicks, you know, obviously they have the Nets now in the, the Celtics game, rather in the rear view mirror, they play them against Sunday. Um, but also that the Knicks are playing so well that that increases their um, relative strength um, against their opponents. The other thing to keep in mind with the, um, with the Knicks schedule late in the season, it gets, it's, it's favorable. Um, you know, just the starting March 23rd, this is, I think their final eight games that play Orlando and Houston. Um, and then their final four games. Um, and then they, then they, another game against the heat and at Cleveland, but their final four games to close, close the season, hosting Washington at Indiana at the yep. Pelicans hosting the Pacers. So they'll, they'll be favored in all those contests, assuming, uh, you know, Knicks stay relatively healthy and they have, you know, reasons to play for that as we assume they will. Um, so though those are games that they should win. It's nice to have those kind of games at the end of the schedule as opposed to um, a, a really difficult stretch. Um, they do have a, a West Coast swing coming up here, a four-game yeah. West Coast swing. Um, but we just found out today that it looks like LeBron will be sidelined for two or three weeks. Um, so they, they do play the Lakers out there. Um, you'd obviously rather play the Lakers without the, uh, the all-time leading scorer so, um, so oh, obviously yeah. some difficult games and they, and they still have another game against the Nuggets. Um, you know, so there's, there's certainly, you know, we, the Knicks aren't, aren't that point where they, you know, or they can look past anybody, as you mentioned. Um, but yeah, I give them solid odds. I'd say, um, it would be disappointing now at this, at this point where we sit Tuesday morning, February 28th, after just beating the Celtics to win their sixth straight game. Um, and they're as dominant as they've been during this six game stretch, going back this 40 game span, um, the Knicks should capture the fifth seed at, at, at this point. Um, I think anything less would be, um, you know, obviously not a major disappointment, but unsatisfactory. Um, you know, obviously, you know, holding on to that five or six seed is is, is a primary importance. Um, it'd be really disappointing if they, at this point, if they slipped back into that that playing tournament um, and, and fell to seven. Um, but yeah, I, I think, um, you know, again, we have to adjust our, and part of playing so well over this extended period is expectations get kind of ratcheted up. And now they yep. will see how they deal with um, these increased expectations. Um, I think that's why it's so important to have a floor leader like Brunson. Um, you know, we mentioned his, you know, his statistical production hasn't been phenomenal over these, you know, kind of the all-star break seems a little bit rusty, a little bit out of his rhythm. Um, but just the, the tone he sets on the floor, um, it's just having that guy um, to quarterback your team. You know, the, you know, the quarterback is the most important position in all of professional sports. Point guard on an NBA team is, is right up there. It's, it's, yeah. Not as important as a as a as a as a quarterback, but it's incredibly important. Um, and to, to have a facilitator and a team leader, um, and and just the Knicks are saying all the right things. There's just a lot to like. There are a lot of positive vibes. We'll see if they can keep it going uh, Wednesday night. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com.
Yep, I mentioned on WFAN last night that uh, if you don't have a point guard, it's like not having a quarterback. I mean, it's like trying to play with one hand tied behind your back. And when you consider what the Knicks have had in the last 20 years, that Jalen Brunson puts them in such a better position. And you talk about the, the, the schedule moving forward. The Nets do have the, the fifth toughest schedule left. They have two against the Bucs. They have another game against the Celtics, two against the Nuggets, a game against the Sixers, two against the Cavs, and one against the Kings, who are one of the top teams in the Western Conference. So they have a beast left for them down the stretch. So Nets, maybe they can find a way to avoid the play-in, but I think for that fifth spot, I think that ship is sailing. I don't think that they'll hold on to that. And with the Knicks even creeping up on the Cleveland Cavaliers, we'll see if maybe they can find a way to sneak up and maybe get to that fourth spot potentially. Now the Cavs have the second easiest schedule left in the NBA. So that will be uh, a situation that will be tough. And the Cavs, the rest of their teams, they play 18 games. The combined winning percentages is 47%. Um, And they got three against the Charlotte Hornets. Uh, They got games against the Pistons, Rockets, two against the Magic, another one against the Pacers, and another one against the Wizards. So, it's going to be tough to get to that, uh, that that fifth spot with Cleveland, but the Knicks do have a game against them, so that will help the Knicks yep. have a chance there if they want to see if they can move up. The it, Again, you talk about the privilege of talking about the standings this late in the season. That's what happens when you play the way the Knicks are playing. Now you can look at the schedule and say, okay, well, who are the other teams playing? How many games back are you? Like this comes with winning basketball, and the fact that we can talk about the Knicks in this regard is really awesome. Um, Knicks and Nets Wednesday night at Madison Square Garden should be a good one i do want to end the show talking a little bit about the uh cba negotiations that are happening between the nba players association and the league so uh sham Sharania of the athletic says that the players association and the nba are closing in on a new collective bargaining agreement some of the key details that have been hammered out include eliminating the college one and done rule um, increasing the luxury tax threshold that will encourage more teams on that first tax threshold to spend more money uh, and keeping their own guys particularly and staying with the growing salary cap and the growing inflation. Um, they also want to increase contract extension limits. So essentially the deal that Julius Randle signed a couple of years ago with the Knicks, that was essentially a quote unquote max extension based on the percentage uh, that he was making previously. They want to up that percentage. So a guy like Randall can get paid more uh, to, to resign on an extension. So uh, those are some of the details that apparently are pretty much, you know, hammered out and agreed to by both the league and the players. There's also um, issues that the league is trying to address regarding load management. They want to talk about the financial viability of the diamond sports regional network, which is Valley sports for those who, Aren't familiar. I know the Knicks. Obviously, we have MSG. If you're a Net fan, you have. I don't know why you listen to this podcast. You're a Net fan. Sorry if you, if you hate the slander, but um, if you're a Net fan, you have yes. So maybe you're not as familiar with some of these other um, teams. But Valley Sports, the company that owns them, is getting ready to file for bankruptcy, and they um, cover half of the league. Sixteen NBA markets are are basically covered by Valley Sports in their games, and the company that owns them is about to go bankrupt. It's a whole big issue, in Major League Baseball as well. So those two team things seem to be top priorities for the league. I want to start with the one and done rule. Are you happy to see it go away? This will mean that high school players will now be allowed to go straight to the NBA, just like we saw LeBron, Kobe, and KG and those guys do back in the day. Yeah, I mean, selfishly, I, I'd probably rather the NBA one and done rule remain in effect just because I like, you know, mm-hmm. you like the opportunity to get to go watch these guys at Duke or North Carolina, um, you know, or, or at least in years past. But um, I think that the, you know, the NBA G League night, uh, you know, overtime, 
Um, those type of things have, you know, Scoot Henderson, we're not watching him. We're not going to watch him in March Madness this year, you know, whereas <laughs> yeah. years past we would have, um, you know, kind of, you know, previewed. Um, and, and, and obviously the internationalization of the game, Victor Wembayana, the number one overall pick um, is playing overseas. So um, it's changed things. Certainly, um, you know, the Thompson twins, et cetera, they're not playing college hoops. Um, yeah, so it's they're overtime elite. Yeah, they're at overtime elite. So it's, it, you know, it's already, we've already kind of phased away from, you know, it's likely that the top four picks in the draft, um, you know, depending on where Brandon Miller, he's got a whole nother situation going on down there in Alabama, but um, it's likely that the top four picks, assuming that it's Wembayana, Henderson, and, and possibly the two Thompson twins, or, you know, another one of the, the young 19 year olds um, won't play college basketball anyway. So I think it's going to have less of an impact. Um, and also I, I think we might see while the opportunity presents itself, like a, a guy like Wembayana, would have been the number one pick had he come out last year. That wouldn't have changed. Scoot Henderson probably would have been the number one or number two pick had he come out a year early. But a lot of these other guys, given the money they can make with either overtime elite or via the G League or going to school and signing a $500,000 NIL deal, um, will discourage them from jumping to the league unless they really are told um, that they are, uh, you know, that they are ready for the league and that they'll be a yeah, top five or exactly. top lottery pick. Um, you know, you'll still get the Lenny Cooks of the world that, you know, really don't have any other options due to grades or whatever the case might be um, and, and and throw their name in the hat or get bad advice. Um, but, you know, in the big picture, um, I think it's certainly – would have it will have less of an impact than it would have had five you know ten years ago forget about it. that was a, it would have had major impact um because it seemed like every player um was a you know one and done guy coming out of a, a top you know a blue blood program that's no longer the case so I, I think it's you know I think the impact while it sounds like it'll have a major impact on the league I think it'll kind of be less than we than than we might expect yeah I think you hit it on the nail on the head like I, I unfortunately um as much as I thought the one and done rule kind of gave a little bit of a jolt back to college basketball because we got to see Kevin Durant playing at Texas, Greg Oden playing at Ohio State, Michael Beasley playing at K State, Daryl Rose at Memphis. I mean, there were so Kevin Love and uh, at, uh, at at UCLA. I mean, there were so many prospects that at that point in time, just a couple of years prior, would have been playing in the NBA. Now we're seeing them playing college basketball. And it was awesome. I mean, you see these guys taking these, you know, Derrick Rose taking his team to the national championship. Kevin Love taking his team to the final four. Kevin Durant as a freshman is averaging almost 30 points. I mean, it Carmel was. Carmelo Anthony. It was, it's, it's, yeah. It's, right. Of course, Carmelo Anthony the year before, years before. Like, you saw guys um, have these spectacular seasons. And and I think in some ways it kind of revitalized the league. I mean, the college basketball particularly. Because now you were seeing the best players coming out of high school playing in college. But if you have as you mentioned, these other options like the G League Ignite, like Overtime Elite. And then you have, of course, like you said, the the uh, expansion of the, the growth of the game internationally. And now you're seeing a lot of these players internationally that are also now having to wait another year to play. It kind of lessens the, I don't say the importance, but it kind of lessens just like the the the, the quality of competition that you're seeing in college basketball now. Yeah, I, I think my sense is that the league feels like where you know this won't have as big impact so let's let's say okay fine we'll give you guys we'll get rid of the one and done rule as if they're making a big sacrifice you know and then ask for something else on the back end yeah. in, in, in return from the league when in actuality um it's not a big as, as big a sacrifice as you might think yeah and that one and done rule is an interesting thing because according to shams they there is this uh the nba players you know one of the reasons why the nba players agrees to the one and done rule was they were tired of seeing 18 year old kids who clearly weren't ready to play taking their spots and if you're drafted as a first round pick that's a guaranteed uh that's a guaranteed contract you have 
So that means some veteran is not going to be on an NBA roster. And then we see your Robert Swifts, your Desanya Jops, some of these guys, Kedrick Brown, these guys would just uh, be on NBA rosters and just sit on the bench for four years and then they'd be out of the league. So um, apparently they're trying to thread a needle where uh, the veteran players would be able to facilitate, according to Shams, uh, tutelage and orientation to the high school players entering the league and that the union wants to maintain the presence of veteran players and not allow newcomers to replace them. So I guess having these guys, uh, you know, mentoring a lot of these young players coming into the league, they hope would give those veteran players value to remain in the league uh, with the system set up. So they're trying to thread a needle there. I think that, look, from a moral standpoint, I think there's no reason why a kid shouldn't be allowed to go straight from high school to the NBA. I can list the hundreds of things that you can do when you turn 18 years old that are far more dangerous or far more um, maybe nefarious <laughs> than playing professional basketball. So I, I'm fine with that. But as a college basketball fan, a guy who loves college basketball, I, I, I do wish it would stay. And as a guy who loves it, covering the NBA draft and evaluate draft prospects, yes. I mean, it, it is it is hard. And I think part of the reason why the NBA wanted to do this is because they were giving out guaranteed millions to guys who could not play, essentially. Yes. It is hard to take kids that are playing high school basketball and evaluate them and determine whether or not they are good enough to actually play in the NBA. As good as they may look in high school is a totally different animal when it talks about playing 82 games a night, traveling across the world or across the country, particularly, um, and playing as grown men. It is at least college basketball. There's some buffer where you're doing some of that traveling, you're playing against older players and and go from high school to the NBA is like night and day. Especially with the with the just the decline of the AAU circuit, you know, a lot of yeah. pro, JJ Redick has talked about this. How it's just it's a joke now, you know, the the, the competitiveness. It's like an all star game essentially. Yeah. Um. So it's really hard to determine whether these kids are ready for the league on based on that stuff. Yeah, I think that we will see some of the just like I mean, if you look at that era from like about 1998, like let's say, you know, probably after Trace McGrady got drafted, that's when we started to kind of see now. Every year, there's five or six guys at least getting drafted in the first round coming out of high school. You go from 1998 to about 2005, 2006, whenever they first instituted this one-and-done rule. That is some of the worst drafting you'll see in NBA history. Some of the guys that are drafted, not I'm not even talking about, oh, at 18 or 19. Guys drafted in the top 10 just did not become players at all because teams were taking risks on high school players. And I think about guys who every year they come into uh, a season, you say, Oh, this guy watch out for him in the NBA. Like he, he's going to be a problem. And then he go to Duke or they go to one of these places and they can't play. I mean, I don't want to pick on anybody, but like Derek Lively was the number one, number two player coming out of high school this year. And he's starting to play well for Duke over the last few games, starting to kind of figure it out. But this was a guy that if he, there was no one and done rule and <laughs> this was just him allowed to go enter the NBA. He might've been the number two or three pick in the draft this year. Like, that 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 is going to be it's going to be very interesting. Um, that's the one thing I will say. I think the scouting and the way these guys know these these players since they come up from high school in these AAU programs, I think there's more information than there's ever been. But I still think you're going to see a lot of misses in the NBA draft moving forward because of this rule. And circling back to the Knicks version of the you know we're, we're Knicks podcast, the one of the reasons the Knicks have had success, and it's important to note. I think it's six of the the players in the Knicks rotation are are, are home dra- are drafted players. They've yeah. you know made their bones by drafting Emmanuel quickly, a little bit maybe underutilized at Kentucky, but was the SEC Player of the Year and had a pedigree yeah. and some uh, uh, Quinn Grimes, a highly respected pro you know uh, product coming out of high school, had his ups and downs and found his way to Houston and um, eventually developed into. Oh, a- Grimes, you mean Grimes? Yeah, 
yeah. Grimes, I'm sorry, Grimes, yeah. you know, developed into a, you know, a rounded out player um, under Samson. So like, there's just, you know, the, the, those, the Knicks have had success with drafting those type of players. You can kind of tell, um, you know, they'll wait later in the draft and some of the guys that may not have the upside of these young, exciting kids, um, but have a, have, have a proven pedigree. Um, that's kind of where the Knicks have, have found a sweet spot. Yeah, I guess three of their last first round picks, uh, all guys who were not freshmen, you know, quickly yep, a sophomore. Yep. Obi Toppin was like a super senior. And yep. you know, Le Grimes, who was a, a junior who had already transferred from one school to another. So you had plenty of information, plenty of scouting on those guys. And we see those guys are contributing players. There are yep. going to be a lot of teams they, that are going to, yeah. And Mitch Robinson, obviously, was the is the outlier. You know, they yeah. took him Mitch and RJ. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, but even Robinson didn't even play at all. You know, I think, well, right. You know, yeah. I watched Kentucky for like two weeks or something. Um, but, and and that's why he slid to the, you know, he was a McDonald's All American that slid into the, you know, the, the, the low 30s. Um, and Knicks benefited there. So, um, you know, as a roundabout way of, of crediting the Knicks for some solid draft choices. Yeah, Mitchell Robinson, in some ways, is the closest thing you would have to a guy who um, was a guy straight out of high school because yep. you mentioned a guy who yep. didn't play any basketball. But this time, there was no G League Ignite. There was yep. no overtime elite. He was just working out for a year um, and did not play. I guess Shaden Sharp would be another guy you would think yeah. similar to that. Yeah. He didn't yeah. play at Kentucky at all last season, though he did get the practice with the team. Mitchell Robinson just left school. So, um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how this changes uh, the way teams draft. The only thing I'll say real quick before we get out of here, um, I, a lot of these stuff, the financial stuff, I'm, I'm fine with. But I think that um, they're going to need to increase these salaries of the, the contract extensions because too often guys won't even consider that extension because the, the team can't offer the max. So they have to go to the free agency in order to get the money that they are owed um, based on the percentage that they can allow. Now, the Knicks got very fortunate that a guy like Randall was saying, all right, I'll take that because he wanted to be in New York and. Um, and he probably wanted to, to bank on that guaranteed money as opposed to maybe coming into the next season, going to free agency. If he had that season he had last yeah. year, I mean, we're talking about a guy who maybe makes, you know, two years, you know, 30 million. That's how bad last season was. So the fact that he got that money was important. So um, I think that's good that that they'll increase that. I'm all for player salaries increasing. The one thing I will say is I was a little concerned. I'm not saying that I can do anything, but a little concerned that there are right now no details on how they plan to handle load management issues the fact that the nba regular season is too long maybe those are going to be sticking points that are going to keep this hold this deal up but like i, I was hoping we'd hear something about that and it's something about how to improve the quality of play and we got none of that in this uh in these early details on the cba uh a couple things on that uh, on the load management issue one the players need to do a better job as a collective unit and that's under union leadership of presenting the the reality that yes the players are not are, are are okay with sitting out games from time to time but a lot of it is team driven that's you yes, know, the, you know exactly the, these are general managers and front office staff and medical staff that are paid millions of dollars to invest hundreds of millions of dollars in these athletes and they've determined that the best way to preserve their you know investment um, is to rest them regularly or not play them, you know, 48 minutes a night, 82 games. And as we've talked about um, multiple times uh, previously, uh, uh, 39 minutes in an NBA game today is not the same as 39 minutes in an NBA game when Jordan and Reggie Miller and Patrick Ewing and those guys were. You're talking about an extra 15, 20, 25 possessions a night, an extra quarter's worth of action per game. Um, that's extra yeah. wear and tear against, you know, again, you know, we can debate the physicality of the game. Um, but, the, you know, listen, you chase Steph Curry around, you know, screens for, for, for 40 yeah. minutes. Um, you got, you know, it's going to wear and tear on your joints. Yeah, you're going to be looking for an oxygen tank. <laughs> 100%, 100%. And some orth orthopedics and, and you know, yeah. and, 
some some uh, you know new Kobe's every game. But like the thing is, um, the the players need to let the media know because I, it, it continuously all I hear from is these players are lazy. And Charles Barkley, the latest example, these players don't want to play forty minutes, and you get paid seventy million dollars. What a bunch of lazy clowns! Yada yada yada. No, uh, part of the reason you know uh, that 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 Kawhi Leonard sits out so many games is the Clippers want to resign him, and they understand that they need him healthy for to make a championship run. So you know yeah. they'll they'll limit minutes and it worked for the Raptors they won a championship so let's see if it works for us um and again so th- those are those are things that the that the players need to do a better job of I think just making uh, from a PR perspective yes. um again I, I would prefer that they get a larger slice of the pie um I've never been one to complain about player salaries um yeah. you know I'd rather see Randall or even the, the, the would pick whatever player you dislike on whatever team uh you'd rather that player get the money than a guy like James Dolan pocket an additional x amount of or he was already sitting on billions um right. so you know, i have i have no issue from that perspective um the one thing i did want to mention in terms of the cba report and we'll talk about this more over the next couple of money next couple of months and especially this summer um the most interesting part of the report to me was as you mentioned the increase in that that max uh, extension offers um yeah. as you mentioned randall could sign for 120 percent. they're talking about bumping that up to 140 percent, potentially up to 150 percent. that could be very important um for the knicks in particular when it comes to um re-signing jalen brunson when his deal eventually yep. expires because he's going to pick that player option um he's going to exercise that player option and hit free agency um he's only going to be under contract for two more years um, um, at a decreasing contract level, which his contract value right now is insane. Um, and the also, should the Knicks get another star or trade for a player in particular, the first guy that came to my mind was OG Ananubi. Um, one of the reasons that the, the, that the Raptors will look to trade him this summer, if they don't sign him to an extension yeah. is because they're worried about him hitting free agency um, because he's, incentivize financially incentivized to opt out and hit the free agent market whereas if you could if you could sign him to 150 percent of his current contract he might be more likely to sign an extension so if the knicks were to trade for a guy like that um you could lock him up and keep him in your core uh potentially longer term so that's definitely something that i'll keep an eye on as these as these uh, negotiations kind of evolve yeah some of these details may feel like you know minute details but they really could impact how your team builds their roster so 100%. when they talk about these CBA deals, uh, I'm, I'm I'm combing through them with a fine brush or fine comb. Like it, it's, it's it's very important to understand these little things. So you mentioned re-signing guys like uh, Jalen Brunson. Um, you talk about other guys that may be available on the trade market that they may be bringing in, looking to resign. Like that that increase on that uh, on those extensions is, is super important. I think worth mentioning for sure. But that's gonna do it for this edition of Orange and Blue Bloods. Tommy, let the people know where they can find you. At Tommy Beer on Twitter. You can find me, EJ Stewart, on, on Twitter, Action EJ on Instagram and TikTok. That'll do it for now. Thank you guys so much for checking out Orange and Blue Buds. You can catch these episodes wherever you get your podcasts, including the free Odyssey app. Make sure you hit the auto download feature so you can get these episodes every time you drop. Also, be sure to check us out on YouTube. You can find us uh, on the Odyssey Sports channel where you can get not just the full episodes, but segments of the podcast on the Odyssey Sports channel on YouTube. That'll do it for now. Thank you so much for checking us out. Tommy, I'm EJ, and these guys, peace.